As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Steiniger. Welcome to part two of our conversation with Lance Wally, the CEO of Chargeify. Um, in this uh, conversation, we talked with him about where Chargeify was in the payment space in 2009 when he got started and how things have really changed since then. Uh, Michael, what did you learn from this talk with him? I think the, the biggest thing was even within the payment space, not everyone is their competitor. Um, and it was interesting to kind of hear how he viewed the marketplace. 
because there's people that he says are farther away and and that means like they may be competitors but they're not the direct competition who who i even thought was was competing with chargeify so once you get into these markets there's there's greater segmentation than just payments and um that that was that was something that i kind of took away that i thought was really important what about you I actually thought it was really interesting how he developed this interest in the payment space when he was at Engine Yard, and he knew that this was kind of emerging. He knew there was a better way. So he basically shopped himself around to the three, four key players that were getting started in the space and approached it that way and and came in on a really early level um, with Chargeify when that happened. And I haven't heard anyone say that that's how they got started in something before. So I really enjoyed hearing about that. Yeah, yeah, it's very cool. Well, let's get into it. Before we get started, we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Hover takes all the hassle and friction out of registering your next domain name. And if you don't believe me, just ask my wife, Carmen. Hey, babe. Yeah? I need a new website. All right, well, you need to to get a domain name. (sighs) How do I do that? Do you have a domain name? Yes. No. 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 I don't. Okay. <laughs> I need one. Just use my Hover account. What's what's a Hover? So Hover, H-O-V-E-R uh-huh. dot com. Okay. And just search for, for whatever domain you want. Oh, that's it? Yeah. Okay, I can do that. Go to Hover.com, get 10% off your entire first purchase by using the code SOEASY. That's Hover.com and the code SOEASY. CodeShip makes continuous delivery simple and easy. For those of you just getting started, CodeShip has a generous free plan with five private projects included and 100 builds per month. Not enough? You get 20% off three months just for being a RocketShip listener. Plus, the team over at CodeShip spent the past few months talking to customers and just launched a complete redesign of their app with better usability. Go to CodeShip.com RocketShip to sign up today. Customer.io is a modern email platform built for startups. Go to customer.io slash rocketship to start sending emails that convert. And I, I was shocked. I didn't even, I, I think I said nothing. Like I, I thought we were going to sit down and talk about trying to mend things. And instead it was like, he just wanted to meet to say like, you know, uh, uh, forever goodbye. And since then, like friendship ended that moment. Uh, a couple of Christmas cards, stuff like that, uh, to try and rekindle things, but like to no avail, it is just over. Whereas like I have other friendships that, you know, kind of went on similar paths, you know, maybe they got let go after I left or whatever, obviously, which would make a difference, right? He wouldn't blame me if I'd ever been gone, but his other friendships just totally took it differently. And so it came down to like, sure, they're different people, different personalities. But the, the one regret I have is, is that my duty to my friend and my friendship would have been with, with this one individual in particular would have been to just be clearer. He was probably the one I was the least clear with. And we were again, 90 miles apart to be clearer from day one that like, please don't expect that you're going to get special treatment. Like we're, if this thing grows big and you're working for others, which of course is what happened, like you will be managed by them. And it's like, and if they decide that you need to go, like we may hear about it. And and yes, if we think they're some sort of out of control, crazy person, we might (laughs) stop them. But barring that, like they have to be allowed to make their own management decisions. Otherwise, we we can't show to the company that, oh, hey, these few people are all protected. Um, He did expect, by the way, I forgot that somewhere in that, you know, after he got let go, 
he had basically asked to be unfired or rehired. And I said, well, we can't do that. It's like, I mean, the, the, the person who let you go didn't appear to do so for any unreasonable reason. It's like, a, if we did that, we'd be telling every manager in the company that like our friends are special. And, and then he said something like, well, where I come from, you know, friendship is stronger than business or blood's thicker than water or whatever phrase he used. And I remember just, I think I had no response. I, I was just like, uh, I'm sorry. Like the, you know, we can be friends, but the business can't run that way. Yeah. And maybe we just shouldn't work, you know, yeah. and just, just stay friends at that point. Uh, if that's the kind of attitude. Fortunately, yeah. like he expressed that attitude, you know, after he let go. Right. Right. He, right. I wish I had had, you know, I'll always wonder like if I had had a, few more coffee meetings with him six months earlier maybe it would have come out in some conversation and then i could have shut it down and said hey i i want to stay friends with you maybe you need to understand this or or maybe you need maybe we need to find you another job while, while we can still do so in a friendly manner yeah so and and like if, if tom and i had been there with him over a coffee it would have been cool just to have the other co-founder you know and and friend of friend to just reiterate like hey dude you know just just so you know like we're not going to protect you. We can still be friends. Like our, you know, we can, we can have two parallel thoughts here. We're still friends, but you are an employee of this other person. Yeah. That's the role that he's taking on at that moment. Correct. And those are the hard conversations to have. Yeah. And so, like I said, I just wish, uh, if, if it ever, I mean, we, I have some friends at, at charge if I'm trying to think though, I guess none of us are, when I think of the team here, there's about 20 people now. Um, some of us have kind of become friends but I suppose I probably, we didn't really bring in any like pre-existing friends. So that's different. Right. Yeah. But yeah. So the, 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 the overall lesson is like, I, I don't think it's wrong to hire friends or even maybe family. Family's probably a little touchier, but I do think that you've got to make sure that, that the people just fully understand that they're being hired to do a job, you know, with the same criteria as any other team member. And that, if, you know, if the company's needs are different as the company grows and or they're eventually working for others, they are working for others, you know. <laughs> and again, it's like yeah. I guess the, the, the overall way to put it is like if the company's needs change and you don't change with it, I mean, that's kind of a, a weird way to put it. But I've seen that happen, too. You know, it's like you, you can probably imagine 10 scenarios where the friend's skill set and availability and whatever fit the needs for the first year or two. And those needs may change. It's like the, it's kind of a high level way to put it. It could happen to anyone, including me, right? It's like at some point in the company's growth, it needs a different person. So that's, you know, that's kind of my summary of the whole thing. I, I uh, just, yeah, be, set the expectations, preferably before they even start work. And it probably doesn't hurt to refresh that conversation every so often, every six months or whatever it is. Uh, Especially when those big events happen, it sounds like, like when they have that distance, even just saying, hey, I'm not your boss anymore could have probably made a huge difference. Yeah. The weird thing is, is like, I mean, it, it would have been obvious. I mean, I, I, you know, he wasn't reporting to me and hadn't been for a long time. But yeah, I guess I guess he felt that, uh, you know, Tom or I, but mainly me because I was his direct friend. He he somehow felt that we would step in and undo such a thing. And of course, then he was emotionally very hurt when we didn't. Right. And right. Uh, yeah, I wish that's too bad because what I've told people too is like he was one of my handful of like multi-decade good friends 
you don't have that many yeah. of them. Like, you know, it's like when you really think of like how many friends do you have that are that span a long time that you that, you, you know, you've especially formative years like you, you, you meet when you're like early to mid 20s and, and now you're 40. And so you've grown through, you know, seeing life changes for each other and all that. To lose one of those is a shame because I, I don't think most people have more than a handful yeah. of, at that cal- that depth, right? So that's why I think, yeah, that's, you know, Engine Yard cost me like one of my, one of my handful of close friends. Uh, it's not Engine Yard's fault. It, it, it's at least partially my fault for not being clear about it. Well, and I think that's kind of the lesson in all of this is that it's not necessarily right or wrong to hire or not hire a friend just because they're a friend. Um, but it's like any other relationship whether it's a family member, a friend, a client, and it comes down to just managing expectations. I, I think that's the big takeaway from that. Yeah. I mean, I'm lucky in the, the other friends that we brought on, like they just kind of knew that uh, already. Uh, we might have just, dis- I think we discussed it, but like, again, it, it also just depends on what their expectations are. You know, in other, in other words, everyone has their own default expectations going in. And I think that in some other cases, we kind of lucked out maybe we wouldn't maybe we had mentioned it more often there was some combination in that one case we probably didn't mention it enough and his default expectations were the most on the other end of the scale right so yeah it had an explosive outcome so so you were the ceo of engine yard during this really uh kind of pioneering time when ruby on rails was up and coming and you kind of carried it um through this period where you were ready to pass the torch on to someone else. And then you went and joined Chargeify as the CEO and the payment space now is like incredibly fierce. And I'm curious what it was like when you transitioned there. And if you faced similar challenges in terms of that um, pioneering mindset, let me think about that. First, I got to process what you said, Um, (laughs) but uh, it was different. I mean, when, when I, came over to Chargeify. It was late 09. I think for the first several years, uh, this space was not seen as being all that interesting. Definitely did not grow as quickly as Engine Yard. Engine Yard took off like a rocket. So this space has been like slower, steady growth. And I don't think it's been recognized as something interesting until like this year. Well, so who were the big players in 09? In 09, the only big player was one called Zora. Well, they have some competitors that are at their level and higher. There's Zora and Aria. Um, There's one called Vendisha. But Zora and Aria are kind of the the big dogs, so to speak. They've been around for a while. Super well-funded. And ironically, like Engine Yard was and may still be, for all I know, a customer of Zora. Um, in fact, when I go back to it, you know, we had built a lot of our own recurring billing stuff at Engine Yard and did not like the experience. It, it took a lot more time and effort than anybody thought. Uh, it was one of those things where, you know, no matter how many developers you have, you don't have an infinite number of developers. And it's not stuff, the work they're doing needed to be done, but it's not stuff that the customers care about, Right. And so when I was, you know, preparing to leave Engine Yard, I just remember thinking like, okay, Zora wasn't the experience we wanted. There, there's good people at Zora, but it's like what we wanted when we went looking in the market originally, we imagined a service that would have come out of someone like 
37 Signals. I know they've changed their name, but I can't get used to it. We, we imagine that it would have come out of someone like 37 Signals or MailChimp or SurveyMonkey, like those those entities that at that time were already pretty big and they made good web apps that were reasonably affordable with a public API, uh, public documentation, public pricing like that. In my mind, that's what it should be. It's like you should be able to go to a website, fully understand the service, pay for it with a credit card, read up on the docs. That was not Zora's an enterprise model. It was all about signing an NDA before you get to look at docs. Oh, and by the way, the pricing's not on the site and blah, blah, blah. And even when we implemented them, like the, the alarm bell went off on my head when I, six months, 12 months into it, when our finance people weren't happy and our tech people weren't happy. It's kind of like, okay, both sides of the house aren't happy. So boiling that one down, coming out of Engine Yard, I just knew that was a space I wanted to be in. I felt that like, this is something that some segment of businesses are going to need and we needed it, right? Some of our customers needed it and it should be something that Again, it should be what I consider modern. Modern to me means at midnight, I find it, I go to your site, I sign up with a credit card, I'm playing with the account, I'm reading the docs. That's modern. And so at the time, there were some upstarts that were pursuing this modern vision and Chargeify was one of them. So what I did is I hopped, I contacted the, the four upstarts. There was um, Recurly, Chargeify, Spreedly, and Cheddargetter. There's like four of them. And they're all still out there doing different things, of course. Um, there was a fifth one that was in Canada, uh, but I they went on a different direction anyway. But anyhow, so I got on an airplane and just visited each entity for a couple of days a pop, and said, "Hey, I'm you know former CEO of Chargeify, and I want to I want to be in this space, and you know you're one of the startups in the space, and I'd like to invest some money and become part of the team." And so I also went in with a very friendly stance, though, saying, "I don't you know I'm not trying to pressure you into doing anything." I you know, I, I may not join up with anybody. Like I just, I said, I like this market and I want to see like what the opportunity is for me to be part of it. And so everyone was pretty welcoming uh, to spend a couple days with me. Chargeify was the one that really impressed me. And, and I will, <laughs> let me back up too. Not everybody wanted me. I'm not, it's not like I was like the king arriving and like, you know, everybody wants me because it, it, there had to be a role for me to fill and that wasn't already filled. And, you know, I had to like how the, the vibe I got from them and they had to like the vibe from me and they had to think, you know, it would probably help that they thought if they thought engine yard was something cool, uh, et cetera. So with Chargeify, I went to Boston where grasshopper is and I just really liked what I saw. Like they have a good company. The employees are happy. Everything online I read was good. They developed a brand really well. You know, they already had a structure in place for HR and finance and support and all these other things. So I, I thought, Hey, you know, it's like, this is good. They liked me. Their app was hosted at Engine Yard, so they already had kind of an instant rapport uh, because of that. And so, yeah, over a month or two, that 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 was the conversation that was the the strong one, um, and just made sense for me to to join them. So, at what point did the payment space go from something that you're kind of describing as like uninteresting or not super competitive to um, the landscape that it is now? I can't remember the exact year, but I would say. Probably the f one event that certainly pops into my mind was when Braintree, which had always been proud to be not VC funded, like they, like they were, you know, they were on Thirty Seven Signals blog that I think is or some series they write about called, uh, oh heck, I can't remember it. It's a cool series of words that basically means like small, self funded, and, and proud. Shoot, I can't pull it out of my head right now, but. Um, 
they did an about face like the, the like Braintree was one of these poster ch- children in Chicago for we've done it on our own, took little if any money, we're profitable. And so they like, you know, all within like a short period, there were they took VC, they brought in a new CEO who I'm told was was kind of like known for building up and selling companies, et cetera. And, and of course, later they sold to PayPal. So that that was kind of one of the, the early ones. Stripe certainly, which I think came a little later, but I, I can't, you know, don't shoot me if I'm wrong. Stripe, obviously, like we heard about them really early and then, you know, very early they were they were super secretive about what they were doing. And like we would hear stuff that they were working on. They were just going to do like merchant processing. And, and you know, if, if that, the sentence being that simple, it was kind of like, well, OK, you and a thousand other people, like what's different about it? And and but they didn't. Of course, they didn't want to say what was different about their plans and and rightfully so. But so they came up and did a beautiful thing and made a very elegant solution. Uh, Square is another one that's, that's a little further from us, but same kind of thing. Like, let's let's take payment processing and make it very elegant and simple and beautiful software and, you know, simple pricing. Like, they're all part of that same thing. Even I don't even know if Braintree was there or kind of got led there by Square and Stripe, but they're all headed in the same direction. You know, it's like simple pricing, nice website, payment gateway, and merchant account all rolled into one by the way like they weren't what's interesting is it's like we think of them as being first but the idea of payment gateway and, and merchant account all rolled into one and like instant merchant onboarding i think that was done certainly done 10 years earlier by paypal and then as i've learned more about this landscape like there's there's companies out there that you've never even heard of like one called ProPay, which is in utah they're now owned by a big payment processor called tesis but anyway ProPay is like in many ways, they're kind of like Stripe and Square in that they're like instant onboarding for merchants, you know, simple. I believe they have simple pricing, et cetera. They just they never did the piece of like beautiful, elegant software, beautiful, elegant API. But but the the whole part about like, you know, onboard a merchant quickly, no big underwriting hassle, all just done, like has been there longer than we all think. It's just that most of us and I'm including myself in this, this us, you know, most of us from the tech and software world just don't know that these things have actually existed longer than you think but what some of the newer companies did was just make it beautiful yeah so i mean things are super competitive right now with all these companies that you just listed off and i'm curious how you're kind of navigating that and what your goals are in terms of getting your market share like are you kind of just going for a certain piece of the pie or is there some innovation that's happening that is still kind of up for grabs in that space. There's nothing left to innovate. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Damn. <laughs> it's all done. It's done. Um, <laughs> I guess we can uh, go home. Yeah, just go home. Well, let's see here. That's a big one. We are, <laughs> I don't consider it magic. I mean, through reasonable pricing, good feature set, uh, support, who cares? word of mouth, like all the stuff you'd expect, right? The neat thing is, is that we are seen as one of the top providers and, and at least by the market that knows us. And what I'm saying is like when the phone rings and someone's looking at us versus others, they still see us like right up. In fact, right up against even the likes of Zora, which is, you know, really cool and kind of mind blowing. Zora is way, way, way better funded than we are, and they've been around longer. But the market really kind of looks or 
I, I say the market, I want to be careful, right? Because obviously the people calling us are a segment of the market. But the market that we know about looks at us and Recurly and Zora. Like those are the ones they see. They also do see, of course, Stripe and Braintree, but they see those differently. And so there's a long tail for all the companies I just mentioned. You know, there's, there's certainly lots of competitors for Stripe and Braintree and competitors for us. But they see us as like, one of the short lists you should look at if you have a recurring revenue business and you want to manage it and be well treated. It is true that, for instance, you know, Stripe and Braintree get more of the segment that's like just trying a new idea, developer centric, um, et cetera. And they have offerings that are, you know, better in some ways, cheaper, et cetera. But our focus is, you know, we're small, medium business maybe parts of large businesses, departments of large businesses. But, you know, our idea is, is that for relatively low pricing, you know, hundreds of dollars a month, a smaller medium business can have a really good system supporting them, you know, running in three data centers with good people watching things, with good people that can answer the phone if you call, et cetera, et cetera. So kind of a business owner who looks at that and says, oh, cool, I get a whole team backing me up, you know, good redundancy, good software, and I get it for about the cost of like one employee's health insurance or something or less. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a no-brainer. So how do you approach that market where you're kind of the second tier, right? You're, you're dealing with larger companies, but they must have started somewhere and they must have some kind of payment processing in place to get there. So how do you approach that? Because they actually, I assume, need to transition most of the time to you, right? Well, in most cases, like I'll use News Corp as an example because they came to us a year and a half ago or something. Actually, the News Corp story is really cool because it covers a lot. News Corp Australia, a sprawling entity, uh, they came to us and said, hey, um, you know, a part of our company in the UK already uses Zora, but you know, for a case like we're thinking about, we've heard really good things about you and we'd like to use Chargeify. And they just wanted like simpler, easier, perhaps less expensive, la, 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 la. And so, but at the time, this is like what, summer 2013 or heck, it might've been spring 2013. <clears throat> the problem was, this is that getting a new vendor approved in News Corp is not easy. You know, it's a multi-month process and we didn't have a number of things in place. Like we had multi-data center, I think at that point, but we didn't have, you know, we, <laughs> We, at that point in time, we didn't have a disaster recovery plan and a business continuity plan and a number of other things. And also, all these big sales usually have really long, you know, 100-question spreadsheets that they'd like you to answer. And they might also want some phone conferences with your network and technology people and their equivalents to make sure that you've designed things well and that you're secure. And, and In other words, they're, they're doing their diligence, right? <clears throat> so we did, like, probably... I don't know, four or five months of diligence work. And it made us a better company. Like we learned the things that they would need, the companies like them would need. And, and we got better as a result. So fortunately we had a, an internal advocate at News Corp who wanted this to happen and made sure basically that it did helped us through the process. And so popped out the other end with like a, a great customer and much more able to work with that kind of sales lead. And so it, it's, it's a snowball effect, right? It's like, We've become more and more used to handling enterprise customers and knowing what their expectations are. So to your thing about like, yes, they already have payment processing somewhere. We hook into most of the major payment processors and we can add new ones if we need to. We added one for News Corp, for instance. 
so they didn't have to switch payment processors. They were simply wanting to, you know, develop a new web app that has recurring billing, and they liked Chargeify and wanted to use us for that. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, and it, it's a, I guess it's a step that uh, a lot of startups we often tend to start at the bottom. Um, at least I do. Oh, we did and, too. And kind of work your <laughs> way up. Yeah. Exactly right. And. And so it's interesting to hear, like, how do you go into a, a bigger company and what might that well, look like? So, I mean, probably a key difference is we didn't go into News Corp. Like, they came to us. Right. And it's a huge difference, right? It's like if someone's coming to you and you've got that internal advocate who wants to use you, then, yeah, I mean, the job, it was still not easy, but it, it just wouldn't have happened otherwise. And, you know, we've, we now have, like, Food Network and there's News Corp and, you know, there's a thing called APN News, which is a series of newspapers in Australia. And we have some in the U.S. We're kind of seeing a, a media pattern here, which probably makes sense because once you get one, then the next one trusts you and the next one trusts you and the next one trusts you. So it's getting easier, but it, it would not like I remember thinking back that uh, I don't think we would have gotten News Corp a year earlier, maybe even six months, but certainly a year because, you know, part of their we didn't, it's like we got them, but I remember we did a recap with them later and they said that there were several times in the process, you know, where they have to go to some committee and try to get a new vendor approved where that there'd be committee members that would raise a hand and say, are you sure you want to take a risk on this little company? Right. Right. And it's like, okay, well, and so it's this thing about like, they've got to, you know, mitigate the risk and it's a small enough project in News Corp that they're willing to take some risk and blah, blah, blah. So if they had come to us earlier, we might not have had three data centers up and running. Um, we might not have had, we now have, you know, staff that runs those servers and knows that stuff really well and knows about security and architecture and all that. Like if, if those people hadn't been there, it probably wouldn't have been approved. You know, it was just a matter of like, we were in the right spot to even squeak in the door. <laughs> um, right, and, right. And they also look at just longevity. They look at like, uh, as we've gotten to these bigger customers, they're like, how long have you been around? Are you profitable? Uh, how are you funded? You know, who's behind you? You know, there's all all this stuff. And it just takes time to get there. And like I said, it just gets better as the clock keeps ticking, basically, from that respect. Oh, by the way, yeah, that's great. same exact thing in Engine Yard. Same exact mm-hmm. thing. Like, really interesting. Like, <laughs> same exact trajectory. Yeah. Like you are trusted by little guys first because they're just like you. They're like small and risk tolerant and any one of you could blow it with one at any moment. And so you're equals, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but like, yeah, it's like you, like one thing I've thought is like, if you tried to just use a ton of money to do marketing and outbound sales too early, it's probably just money wasted. Like you're not, your reputation won't be there. Like you'll, you'll have all this splashy effort, but the reputation like that, that, that committee <laughs> will say, sorry, you've only been around for 18 months and, this and this and this it's like no so to some degree you've just you got to just put in the time and like trust comes with time and i think a lot of people don't want to admit how big a role just good timing plays because you want to feel like you have control over your own <laughs> destiny but in so many cases like it is the right place at the right time and and the things you've done leading up to it are important but it's just timing so we really appreciate you coming on today lance this was awesome for our viewers, our viewers, for our uh, listeners, um, can you tell us where we can keep up with you online? Uh, let's see. Well, uh, what is it? Lance Wally on Twitter. Of course, the Chargeify blog. Let's see where else. I used to blog, but I kind of don't really anymore. Lance Wally on WordPress, but uh, they're old blog posts at this point. 
that's really kind of it. I'm not much on Facebook, mostly a Twitter person. Cool. That's great. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for our newsletter, where twice monthly we send out actionable advice for entrepreneurs and exclusive links to AMAs with our guests. That's rocketship.fm. Sign up today.